Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Max Temkin, co-founder of Cards Against Humanity and many other games. Listen as we talk about the development of one of the top adult party games on the market. Hello, and welcome to the Starting Small podcast. Today, I'm joined by Max Temkin. He is the co-founder of Cards Against Humanity. Max, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want to go a little bit into the pre-origin story of Cards Against Humanity and go into your grade school days. So this is actually where you met your co-founders in grade school in Chicago. Is that correct? Correct. All right. And that was around elementary and middle school days is when you initially became friends with your seven other co-founders. Yes. So what was school like for you back then? Was there clubs, sports, band, <clears throat> etc.? Oh, boy. Uh <laughs> What was school like? I don't know. We 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 all grew. We all went to a great. I mean, we went to great schools. Um, yeah. We grew up in the suburbs, and it was. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know how old you are. We're, we're all. We're all like in our in our like early thirties. So we grew up in the. Okay. 90s. We, yeah, I'm twenty. We, yeah. Okay. So we we grew up in the night. So I think it was different. Like we grew up in the nineties, and it was this very like uh, end of history feeling. I think in America, yeah. and it was like. Yeah, I don't know. It was sort of like. It was a it was a um, a, a, a time when it felt like n- 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 the world was was uh, done when it was like uh, all the all these sort of world historical events had already happened, mm-hmm. and now people would just sort of go to shopping malls and do home improvement projects, and yeah. that would that would sort of be your life. And I always thought that that had like a kind of a despair to it. Um, but I, but I don't know. That's like a, you know, obviously like a, like a, like a, a like a well-explored, uh, subject in, in like American media is like that, that growing up in the, that like, you know, I don't know, whatever quiet desperation of growing up in the, <laughs> in the suburbs in the nineties. Um, sure. and then the, you know, the other, the only other sort of like noteworthy thing that happened while we were in school was in our, in our freshman year of high school was nine eleven, And that yeah. was like a real, uh, that was a real shift in like what it felt like to be in America and, and, you know, art and, and popular culture and all of that kind of stuff. So for sure that, <clears throat> that was kind of a, that was kind of a turning point. And for me, that also got me, um, the, it was, it was actually, it was nine 11. Then it was the, the war in Iraq really got me interested in politics, uh, probably for the rest of my life. Okay. And this is actually what you went into school for. You went into school for economic side, which is at Michigan University, correct? And you guys graduated in 2005, well, you did at least. No, none of that is right. Oh. Yeah. But that's but but I went to Okay, the, I'm, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to edit that out. No, oh, no, you got to leave it in. <laughs> okay, I'll leave it in. I'll leave it in. No, this is good radio. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> this is good po- that's good podcasting. No, I went to so I went to a small school in Baltimore called Goucher College. Um, okay. and, uh, some of the other guys, I don't, no one went to Michigan though. I don't know where Michigan came from. Some of the that's guys wild. went to, Josh went to um where the hell did Josh go? Stanford. Ben went to um, uh, Ben and Eli went to uh, uh, Brown. Uh, a couple of the guys went to Northwestern. So we we all everyone kind of went to good schools except for me. Um, and then I picked my school because when I went to do the visit, uh, someone uh, offered me weed. So I picked the school because I knew that that was <laughs> the one where I would be able to find weed at. Where was this? Chicago? This, no, no, it's a small school in Baltimore. But it, but Baltimore, I wanted, okay. yeah, but it wound up being like. And it wound up being an awesome school for me. It was a very small school, um, you know, 1,500 kids. And um, 
it, I got involved in student government, which was pretty cool. I made my first game, and I started working on games with with my friends Sweet. at school there. So I made this game, Humans vs. Zombies, and and um, I, I played that the first year that I went, and then I, I helped organize it uh, after that, and that was an awesome experience. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just it was a good. It was um, I I never had any, I, I didn't uh, prior to sort of like being in college and making games and stuff like that. I didn't really like school. I didn't really like any of the responsibilities that were that were put on me. I didn't really enjoy like working hard on stuff. I this yeah. is probably a pretty com I think this is like got to be a pretty common experience for for people, but yeah, I just wasn't I wasn't sort of like into to working this whole system. Okay. And I never and I didn't feel like it had much for me and then when I got to college and we were like making games and people were getting really excited about them and it was like you know it, it felt like it was this like it was like our thing like there was no one else who was telling us to do it or responsible for it and yeah. the only the only sort of limit of how good it would be was how, how hard we worked on it that was a, a really good lesson for me because like that was the lesson that I took away from that and I think go, this was this was something I learned from just going to a small school is like it generally does not take much to work much harder than than the people around you if you if you care about something, for sure. And then it's just sort of like picking good things to care about. Yeah. So where did this desire to create games come from? Like humans versus zombies in your college days, was there a club that you joined or your friends around you that they also <clears throat> do this? No, this was prior to a time. So this let's see, this would have been in 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 two thousand and five was when we all started college. So this okay. was prior to a time when there was a club for game design, when you could major in game design. I mean, game designer was not really a well-known word in the sort of like cultural lexicon. This was before the sort of like indie games revolution. Uh, it, it was before XBLA. It was before you could like really, for the most part, it was before you could like sort of download people's homemade games in your home. I mean... Yeah. There was certainly like a weird, I you know, I always had when I was a kid, I was interested in this weird community of like Mac shareware games, and that mm -hmm. that that was a neat that was a neat little area. And I mean, there, it's not like it was zero, but it was very 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 niche. Certainly, no one was making any money doing this stuff. And yeah. no, so my so my freshman year, uh, these two guys who who went to school with me, uh, Brad Sappington and, and Chris Weed, who were I wound up becoming uh, great uh, friends, started this game of they had basically had uh nerf guns and okay. they uh thought it would be really funny to see 50 kids chasing one kid across <laughs> the quad and they were like that would be a really fun uh thing they, i think they had also played some assassins like before i had gotten to school and basically it was too hard to organize people yeah um it's it takes a lot of like overhead to, to do a game of assassins and so they c created this game of zombie tag and it was it was a totally like original invention and um you know a bunch of their friends were computer science majors and uh so they they created this sort of like very rudimentary website that would like track who was a human and who was a zombie and i played the first semester of my my first year of college and it was it just felt like the most fun and important thing i'd ever done in my life like it was you're just like running through the woods trying to get to class like another thing was like i was like it helped me make friends and like genuinely like make connections and meet people that I, maybe yeah. i wouldn't have otherwise you know met and i also like learned my way around the school because you're like learning all these weird you know back <laughs> passages and steam tunnels and you know little shortcuts and things 
And I was just like, this is the greatest thing. And you just felt, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had played one of these, like, you know, I don't know, maybe like paintball. I've never, I've never really done like serious paintballing, but I think. Oh, uh, one time I have. It's like probably a similar kind of experience of like, you just yeah. feel so alive. Like it's just your, yeah, I don't know. It's, it was a really, really special experience. And so uh, that, that uh, just got me excited. And so then I just started working with them on the sort of subsequent games and, and help them organize it for, for the rest of the time that I was at school. And by the time, and then I, you know, I had also been working on, I had uh, been working on political campaigns and in 2008, I left college for a year to go work on the Obama presidential campaign. And okay. so I was sort of learning all this, this stuff of like um, how to make uh, websites and how to uh, communicate things to people online and, and do this sort of like, I don't know, maybe like grassroots organizing online. That was all, really really new and also sort of being invented um and in that era and so i was like well we should uh it would be cool to have more people playing humans versus zombies and using our software and you know we didn't have a we didn't make we still really haven't ever made any money on it it's really just a free thing that we that we we thought was cool but by the time we graduated it was being played at over 700 colleges and universities on on almost every continent including um, libraries, um, military bases, summer camps. Uh, it's amazing. It just, yeah, it just became this huge, this huge phenomenon. And then the other thing, you know, and it also sort of was at the same time as this huge zombie craze in popular culture. Now, and I, I to this day, like I, I don't know if we were riding the coattails of a zombie craze or if we created the zombie craze by. Um, by having this game out there or if our game got popular for the same reasons that people get interested in zombies, but it's kind of an interesting thing to think about, but yeah, it was just right place, right time. And this thing just, just absolutely blew up. And uh, it was, it was, and it's still, I mean, people still play it. Um, I still go, sometimes I speak at, at, you know, a college or something and I, 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 there's a, now there's like humans versus zombies clubs or there's, there's, uh, um, you know, LARP clubs or things like that. And, yeah, it's cool. It's it's neat to have made something like, and it's also neat to be validated of like you know I I saw this thing, <coughs> no one had ever done this game before, and Chris and Brad just sort of came up with it, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've I've ever, this is the coolest experience I've ever had in my life, and it's cool to have been a part of then figuring out how to like give that to so many other people. So for sure. And oh, and the other and the final piece of it that's kind of cool. There's two other <laughs> sort of pieces of fallout from this which was kind of cool. Is this too long? You don't care about no, this. No, no, not at all. Not at the all. Other I'm enjoying this. Two pieces of fallout of humans versus zombies were one, it was like this real crash course in game design because at the time there really was not very many resources out there about game design. I mean, game design was not really like a vocation, like there weren't a lot of like books like it's just like it it's now it's normal that like kids would go to school and study game design that was absolutely not a thing um yeah. in 2005 so uh we just figured it out man like we would have to we would have a problem in the game and then we'd sit yeah. there and we'd go why are people doing this well, well how do we solve this problem so like one example was that the, the humans versus zombies it's like uh everyone starts as a human one player is the original zombie and they run around and tag the humans and turn them into zombies and the humans defend themselves with nerf guns and it's this crazy, immersive, frenetic, 24-hour game of tag that happens, like, everywhere you go. It's it's crazy. We At the peak at our school, we had almost two-thirds of the school playing. So it was just everywhere wow. you – like, you'd go to the cafeteria, you'd go to class. Like, it was just it – was, it, was, it was awesome. And the humans would get 
super organized and they'd, they'd create a caravan where they'd all walk to class together to protect each other. Like, <laughs> And the zombies would get up early and they'd get up in the trees and they'd drop out of the trees and try and tag the humans. Like, it was it was, it was awesome. It was so cool. Yeah. But uh, basically the humans at one point <clears throat> figured out that uh, the zombies had like a starve timer. They had to eat a, a human every, um, I think, 48 hours or they would starve. And so um, the humans eventually figured out that they could sort of uh, break the game if they just camped in their dorm room. And so they would, some people had like on-campus apartments and they would cram into these on-campus apartments where they had like kitchenettes and bathrooms and they'd prepare all their meals and they'd skip class and they'd never leave their apartment. And they were just like, <clears throat> we'll just never leave and then the zombies can never tag us and we'll just wait out the starve timer. That was a big problem. <laughs> So that was where the the this sort of like crash course in game design came in. So we were we would sit around and we go, why are they doing that? Like that's not fun. Like we want yeah. them to play. You know, it's fun to go out and have to protect yourself and make a plan and all that. And so then we go, how do we get them from not having fun to having fun? And we would we that's what, so we were like, okay, we're going to create missions that the humans have to do. And so we'd put glow sticks in the woods and we'd be like, you have to go retrieve these beacons. And we were and then by the time we graduated, it was I mean we had we were at one point I was trying to. My senior year, I remember we, we we wanted to land a helicopter on campus, so we wanted to have the humans have to go to this drop point, and a helicopter would land and drop off a supply crate that they would then have to bring from from one location to another. And I okay. had like gone so far as to file the flight plans with the helicopter, and at some point, I real I, like it became apparent that we needed permission from the school, and I wound up in this meeting. In the, in, the, in the president of the school's <laughs> office and he was they were so mad and they were like you want to do what and we we're like we want to land a helicopter and he this guy had previously in his previous career been a journalist and he saw i guess some guy got his who he worked with got his head cut off by the rotors of a helicopter and he's like what? you're absolutely not landing this this thing on our <laughs> campus so oh my gosh anyway it was like this. It was just a great crash course in like problem solving and game design and like like I didn't sign up to go to school to do that. And also that wasn't a class that I took. It just was. It was like that was what we did after class or like on weekends was we'd like sit around and come up with yeah with with missions and solve problems and write code and like it was it was cool. It was a really fortuitous, probably like the luckiest thing that's ever happened in, in my life that I was like at that place at that time with those people and uh, that I got to be a part of that. And then the the other nice twist that came out of that was, uh, by the time we graduated, this thing had become had gotten a lot of national media, and we were on the Colbert Report, and it's like it got wow. it got um, blew up quite a bit, and so we started getting some some academics started inviting us to like game conferences, to like uh, um, ind independent like game conferences, and so we gave some talks, and we went to these festivals and organized humans versus zombies at, at festivals, and um, <laughs> that was also very. It was just one of those things of like just right place at the right time because I met all these these really cool people um, who were also graduating college into a recession and didn't really have jobs and they yeah. were like maybe we could make games and that would be like being an artist and that was a really cool um, indie games in 2010 is like you know um, being an oil painter in in Florence in the 1700s it's just like you were there for that that really special moment of of creativity for sure. So how was it with this game? How was it with the professors and <laughs> the campus? Because this was a 24-hour <clears throat> game. Yes. So we so the the classroom buildings and stuff were safe zones so the game the game um, okay. couldn't proceed in the classroom buildings. But the professors um the, what I would say is the cool professors liked it and thought that it was it was um 
probably a distraction, but like that it was like quirky and cool and fun and sort of the kind of thing that kids should be doing in college, right? Is like weird, weird, performative, over the top games. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, it's anime. Listen, like college for all of whatever, I don't know, the the way that maybe college is depicted in movies like it is a kind of a drudgery right it's like you wake up and you have a routine and you have coffee and you go to class and you do the same thing every day and like i don't know like it was very lively like people were outside and running around and meeting new people and and busting their routines and like it was cool i don't know so the cool professors liked it the administration um at first they hated it they didn't understand it there was a push to ban it and we we sat in a lot of sort of tense meetings um where we would have to sort of explain what this was um and that was another case where like it was like really really good and fortuitous for for us that like i had had this experience of like working on political campaigns and i sort of knew i don't know like i knew how to like sit in a meeting and like uh those are like weird skills to have to have right like to get (laughs) you get hauled in before all these administrators and like and there was one meeting I remember in particular where we were really scared they were going to um, ban the game. And it was like the dean of education just, just hated the, hated this thing, hated it, and, um, wa- and had made a big push to ban it. And we had a big sort of adjudication with the president of the college and the deans and the provost and I don't know, all these authority figures. And it was it – was, we were all just nauseous and we sort of could feel it coming. And – uh, because of the time I had spent on political campaigns, I sort of knew, I just sort of like had put a little strategy together. So the first thing we did was we had the, the, stu- I don't know, is this interesting? We had the, yeah, for sure. we had the, 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 um, the student paper. I had like a reporter from the student paper. We like tipped them off to the <laughs> meeting and we had them sitting outside because we knew that would sort of, uh, create this atmosphere of like the decision that they make in this meeting is going to be genius noticed, right? Like, oh, yeah. like people are paying attention if they do the wrong thing. And then the other thing was we made um, an agenda for the meeting. So when everyone sat down, we, we had paper printed out with like the stuff that we wanted to talk about. It wasn't our meeting. They were like, come to our meeting so we can talk about banning this game. But we just like got out in front of it and we made a written agenda and we like distributed it. And we were like, here's the topics we'll be discussing in this order. And it sort of gave us control of, of the meeting so we could present it. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought was really, in retrospect, was just like, very savvy was one of their big things was they did not like the toy guns right there the nerf guns yeah. were were frightening i mean <laughs> interestingly like i th- actually think gun the gun debate has become more frightening and changed quite a bit today but you know it wasn't it wasn't 2020 then it was t- it was totally pre, it was sort of this pre school shooting era so yeah. it, was a, it was a different it was a different politics of it but the the dean was like these are frightening weapons of murder and so we were like you know i'm glad you brought that up and we had brought um nerf guns from like we just like went to target and got you know whatever toy nerf guns for all of the administrators and we like gave we were like here we brought you each one of these to play with so you can decide for yourself if it's if it's a dangerous weapon or not and these things are like crazy right they're like bright yeah. orange and pink and they shoot suction cup darts and we gave them <laughs> we gave them to everyone and like the, the the one dean like turned her nose up at it and pushed it away but all the other administrators like they had this like inner seven-year-old that came out and they're like whoa neat cool and they were like that's so shoot, funny they were like shooting the suction cup darts at each other and they immediately no <laughs> yeah yeah they immediately like uh Got right. It was like it was like a, a, in a way that we could never put into words the yeah. silliness of these. But anyway, that's I don't know. We're, this is where we're 
Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay, so in around 2008 and 2009 is when the Cards Against Humanity kind of creation came about. And this yeah. is when you met up, you met back up after college with your friends from high school. Yes. And who came up with this initial idea? Yeah. Probably so you we, with your game creation. Yeah, so so this was something we made while, while we were in college. And it was just my, my a different group of friends than Humans vs. Zombies. This was my, my like childhood friends. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, when we were home uh, for winter break, uh, we just... Uh, we were just sort of nerds, and I don't know, like, we didn't have a, um, oh, I'll speak for myself, like, I didn't have a ton of friends, like, this was my friend group, and I was sort of in this yeah. this nerd group, and uh, we just, uh, we like, we always loved, like, comedy, um, we had this, like, improv, we, we had this, like, we started this, uh, we had this, like, comedy club in, in uh, um, like, a school club that we had started in high school, and we took improv classes together and saw a lot of, we just got like, comedy nerds, right, we were like, there's, like, a yeah. type of, of uh subspecies of nerd that like memorizes stand-up routines and we all had um someone had gotten this like george carlin book as like a bar mitzvah gift and we all would take it we would take it to the cafeteria and we would pass it around and read it to each other like at the lunch table like that is just like the type of nerd we were and so we did a lot of like comedy and we and then we liked games we liked tabletop games and and that kind of a thing and we liked making our own stuff and cards against humanity was just like it was just one in a in a long line of these sort of like dumb games that we would make for ourselves. And this one we made for a New Year's party where we had some friends coming. There were like girls coming and it was like it's just like in someone's like parents basement. But it wasn't like a, a raucous party. It wasn't like a drinking party or something like that. It was just like, yeah, I don't know, like a party. I don't know. It was like a like a hangout. And we were sure. like we we uh, yeah, we just made the game. And it was, and it was like, so, and we basically the the design goal was like we wanted to make something that a, a big group of people could all play together, and it was just, and we made it on, um, we ripped up pieces of uh, red and green construction paper, and we like wrote it with, um, with like a pen with just like sharpies, and we all just grabbed handfuls of paper and just wrote down whatever dumb shit we could think of, and we didn't really play test it that much, but it was so funny, it was really really fun, and then I think that was yeah. the first one where we, we had made a bunch of these, and you know th- this was not like a like the first time we ever made a game or anything, but that was the first one where we like woke up the next morning and we were like, that was pretty good. We should, uh, we should keep working on that. That was very funny. Yeah. The beauty behind this game is there's not like an ending card amount. Like you guys can continue to add cards. And how was that initial day? Was it like 50 cards and then you, you just loved it so much. You just kept adding, you know, I don't know. I think that, um, sadly, I think that prototype is, is gone. Oh. <laughs> and I think it was before like the smartphone era, so I don't okay. I don't think there's any like photos of it or anything. But I the, the we've all, we've had some discussions back of periodically, and like I think maybe one of the guys Ben thinks he might have some of those original cards. But shortly, like basically shortly after that, we 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 made a more of a prototype. And I remember Ben and I had a little Ben Ben and I are both designers. Like um, that was that was sort of what I was doing on campaigns was was I was doing like branding and graphic design. And Ben's always been mm-hmm. interested in that as well. So we sort of created, we played with a lot of different um, options back and forth, but we sort of created the the look of card, you know, the sort of black and white Helvetica, you know, look of Cards Against Humanity. And there was there was a lot um, that that was not um, completely groundbreaking and original. Um, yeah. At the time, um, uh, Art Paul is a, a, design, a Chicago designer who passed away recently, and he had done a lot of really crazy design in, in Playboy in the 60s and 70s, and that, that he's always been one of my favorite designers. 
com- mm-hmm. I had also coming off of the Obama campaign, like I was, um, I have been working a lot with this typeface called Gotham, which is sort of a humanist sans serif that's a lot like Helvetica, and I had really, um, I had gotten this real crash course in like working with this typeface, and I knew how to set the letters, and I knew that I understood the mood of what that typeface was about in a, in a way that I had never understood before, and so that was something where where once we stumbled um, Helvetica, I sort of understood the the the, and it's hard to. How do you describe it? It's like the feeling of it, right? It's like uh, yeah. it's like the overall feeling that we were going for. And then um, there were a few other people who were, uh, you know, at another big uh, one at the time was um, American Apparel was using a different version of Helvetica for their advertising. Uh, okay. I think they were doing like a, um, like an all caps thing, but it was very uh, funny and, and cheeky. And then uh, the, also the IRS, uh, like an IRS form, was also a, f- a big uh, design uh, reference for us. So, but you know, it, it just, we we really just it was like a trial and error of like we kept typesetting all these different phrases and words from the game, and um, we we laid it out, and yeah, that's that we just we just went with what was funniest, and we just looked at a lot of different options, and we we're like, oh, I think it's funnier like that. I think it's funnier like that. And the more sort of stark and official and declarative we made it uh the just the funnier and funnier it got the contrast of the officialness of of this design with the um uh, brokenness and and absurdity of the cards and the other huge sort of design decision that i remember ben and i um figuring out at that time was putting a period after all of the uh white cards that that okay that was a that had to be discovered that was not obvious now there's a ton of these fill in the blank games or whatever it's like almost like a whole genre of people make these games and they all everyone puts a period after but that that was not obvious like that's something we had to we had to figure out and we had a lot of debate about it we also had a lot of debate over uh at one point the game was was all questions with with question marks and then we had uh we wanted to do um fill in the blank i was really against that because i was like i didn't want to lose the sort of poetic nature of these open-ended questions and i i was worried about lengthiness of questions but um we 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 still to this day probably 80 to 90 percent of the game has moved over to fill in the blank we do have some open-ended questions but that also became something that 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 had to be again like discovered and tested and refined over over a long period of time for sure okay so when you got the game out there and you introduced it to the public how much of a broad public did you introduce it to because you kind of wanted to keep it narrow at first before you oh there was no straight we didn't want one thing or another it was just i mean we just there was no company there was no company there was no business uh, yeah so it was just a project yeah we just it made us laugh for sure and and there was all this internet comedy that we all loved at the time like I, do you remember like homestar runner was that before your time strong bad <sighs> emails Oh, sadly, anyway, right, my I time. feel <laughs> so old. I feel just <laughs> ancient. Oh my god! All oh right. man. <laughs> uh, anyway, there was this. There was a lot of our comedy stuff that we loved. There was one that you should do. Go. You should check them out just if, so you can see it. But it's it, there was a, a, a website. It was like these flash cartoons called Homestar Runner, and uh, just the funniest thing in the world. And these guys just sort of made it for free. It was just online, and they put a new one up all the time. And it was just so. Funny, it was such a gift, and you know, I just I still remember going home from school every day and going on Homestar Runner and seeing if there was a new Strong Bad email, just because it was like I was what a what a gift that like this thing was just out there, and I thought it was for me my feeling at least was it was so much better, so much funnier that it was this free gift that it was just this thing that you could go you, you just go watch and you didn't have to buy anything or ask your parents permission or any of that. And sure. so that's that's just all we ever wanted cards to be was we just wanted it to make people laugh and we wanted to play it. 
they're really I really we never had a conversation of like we should start a company or anything like that. At one point, we all wrote down. I'm like, because I had, because uh, I had been through this with with humans versus zombies, where we got knocked off and people tried to trademark our name, and we had such, um, such, um, stress because we never dealt with it. We like got a legal pad and we were like, we all made Cards Against Humanity on this date, and we're gonna split it evenly, and we all signed our names on the piece of paper. Also, That's awesome. also long gone. No idea where that paper is, but oh. <laughs> gone. But. That was about as much as we thought of it. And the only reason we did that was because I had already been through this like drama with humans versus zombies of like where we just wanted to like put this thing online. But there's people who will take advantage of you basically and they'll sell T-shirts with your name on it or, you know, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. So we just we wanted to sort of like establish establish that. And I think I I I know it's you know, we, we, we really put that stuff off for a long time. Eventually we did get our trademarks and copyrights and stuff like that. But. I, I, our philosophy was sort of to wait until the last possible second on all of that, including like starting a company, forming a company, starting a bank account. Like we just, we didn't do any of that stuff. We just wait on each of those things. We waited until it almost destroyed the project until we, it was like critical that we had to go do it. And then we sort of went kicking and screaming every time we professionalized because it made it less flexible and fun to work on, I guess. But, um, totally. Yeah, that was all. That's all we ever wanted. We just wanted it to be online. Like I remember, like I think I I was on something. I was very active on something awful. The the uh, these uh, forums back in the day that were very funny, and I posted <laughs> it there, and it got some traction, and people were saying it was funny, and that was really cool and gratifying because to me those were like the funniest people in the world, um, and so that was neat. There was a very like positive uh, reception on on a thread in something awful, and. Um, then I think there was a thread on Metafilter that blew up that was that that got a lot of attention, and then we started getting invited to some like different uh, game festivals, and 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 uh, we got sort of um, welcomed into this like indie game scene, and this was before there were really indie video games, let alone like indie board games. So we were yeah. we were very very early, and that was and we, oh and we did a Kickstarter, and then started uh, selling games, and then uh, that that was I don't know a couple years into the project because we st- at some point like we got so many emails and people were like. <laughs> I don't want to print this at home on my printer. I want to, uh, I want to buy it. And so we were like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was wild, man. Like we, we were like Googled, like how to make a card game. Like there was no master plan here. That's awesome. So at first you guys actually offered the game for free. Like yeah, it was, it's all, it's still for free. It's always so, just a free okay. PDF. Yeah. The game is just a free PDF. And then we also sell, we also sell it if you want. Okay, cool. Okay. So around 2009, 2010, you guys joined Kickstarter, which actually, I'm talking to Yancey, the founder, to get him on my podcast. He's a great guy. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Tell, tell Yancey that Max said the, the podcast was a, was a great experience. For sure. Thank you so much. He should, he, should, he should do it. For sure. Yeah. And what you guys did is you launched this on Kickstarter, which this yes. is right around the Kickstarter launch when Kickstarter started, correct? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And how did you discover this without being, having much hype around it if it just launched? Yeah. Again, it's like... When I go back and like think of like the story of how these these like all these like Lego pieces fit together, like it was, it's so wild because I think people always a lot of times if I do an interview a businessy interview or people want to know the story of cards or something like that yeah, um, people are always like what was the master plan and like <laughs> when did you like figure it all out I'm like you have no idea like how contingent it was like it it literally was just I mean like we were all working other jobs like this was not a um, there was no plan here, right? It was just like 
I, I don't know. I, it's, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It was just, it, this is unbelievable. I'll tell you the story of how we came to Kickstarter, but just okay. unbelievable luck of like how these stars had to line up for this all to happen. So basically, there's a designer. One of the co-founders of Kickstarter is a designer in Chicago named Charles Adler, who is now a, a dear friend, but I did not know him at the time. And Charles um, uh, knew, uh, co-worked at a, at a space called One Design. Okay. This was prior to um, starting Kickstarter. Um, I hope I have the story right. <laughs> and One Design, one of the founders of One Design, is an, another wonderful designer, um, Sam Rosen, another good friend of mine. And Sam has a studio mate named uh, named Scott Thomas. Uh, and Scott was the design director on the 2008 Obama campaign. And when I was an intern on the Obama campaign, I was in all these meetings and people would be like, oh, we need this website. Uh, all right, man, I'm not telling this story good. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Let's start, let's start over. All right, here's the deal. Prior to the Obama campaign in 2008, the way that everything worked on, on presidential campaigns was that they would hire a an outside design firm who would make all their stuff. And so if you needed something, you would pay money for it. The Obama campaign did something really cool and really different, which was they in-housed all of their design and digital media. And that was because the campaign knew in 2008, this is going to be different than every presidential campaign that's ever come before it because we're going to be campaigning on the internet. And we're going to need to make lots of websites and graphics and resources that, that go online as well as in the real world and we're all gonna we're gonna have to do it in-house yeah and they hired what was at the time it was called the digital media team and they were these designers and if you think back of 2008 this very iconic obama brand you know hope change the shepherd fairy portrait of obama those colors of blue never really never done in my lifetime in politics before i mean everyone had some fucking you know swoop or something with their <laughs> name on it but obama was was really different it was a really f cutting edge fresh and professional design system with unbelievable consistency and part of the effect that it had it had this transformational effect in the primary where people forget how crazy it was that obama ran for president right i i had yeah. been i'm from chicago so i've been working for I, I had known of obama for a long time worked on his senate campaign um, and that's why I had I had um, volunteered really early on on the presidential campaign. But it was it was crazy, dude, that he was running for president, right? Like sure. he was a he was in the Senate for two years. He's a a, a black guy, like he looks funny. He's got like big ears, <laughs> and his name was Barack Hussein Obama, and no one had heard it. Like it, it was it was nuts. Like that is not the profile of someone who runs for president in two thousand eight. It, it's just not. Yeah. Um, and there's this also this idea in, in the Democratic Party of like having put in your time, and Obama had not put in his time in that way. And the, he came out of the gate with this design system that was executed so professionally, and it was so fresh and so different that I think that it really helped cement the image of him as this guy who was ready to lead. It it made him executive in the way that. The, the every time he gave a speech, the podium sign looked exactly right. The signs that the audience was holding up, the, the set dressing was exactly right. The website was exactly right. It was it was fresh and professional in a way that was it was almost like an answer to the incompetence of the Bush administration. And the guy who made that happen was was this designer Scott Thomas, who oh. I knew through who who yeah. So I met him on the campaign. Okay. Scott gave me my first book about design. I mean, I learned all this stuff on the fly. Like I would just show up in meetings, and people would be like, "Can anyone do this?" And I would say, "Could it be like, can anyone make a sign for us or make a website?" And I go, "Yeah, I could figure that out." 
I really did not know how to do it, but I would stay <laughs> up all night and I would Google like how to make a website or whatever. Yeah. You know, in retrospect, I can't believe I did that. But <laughs> um, it was in, it was crazy. But I'd be like, yeah, I know how to do that. And then I just figure it out because I I left myself in a position where there was I, I couldn't not do it at that point. For sure. So, yeah, I just I just figured it out. And at some point I ran afoul of Scott and Scott was like, what the fuck is this? And this isn't right. And why is this typeface here? And this is that. And I was like, well, I just an intern. Like I, no one taught, I'm copying. Right. And what I, what I had, what I would do is after everyone would leave at, you know, whatever, 10 o'clock at night, I would go over to the digital media team to their desks I'd walk all the way across the office and go over to their desks. And I would take stuff off their desks that they had made or they were working on. And I'd sit there with a ruler and I would go, why, when I type Obama on my screen, why does it look different than when they have it on this thing? And I'd sit there with a ruler and I'd be like, okay, they're making the letters be a different amount of space apart from each other than I am. And then you, go- and then I would Google, how do you make the letters be a different amount of space apart? <laughs> and so that was it. That was like, and so then, and then eventually Scott gave me some great resources, some books, and he became a real uh, mentor for, for me. And I, I've been lucky enough to work on some, some really cool projects with him and, but he started my lifelong interest in, in design and typography and all this stuff. So, uh, damn, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like that's sailing real, on the ocean when I, no, that's I'm, really I'm interesting. sailing on the ocean when I should be on the lake here. Okay. So after the dust settles on all of this, Scott made a book called designing Obama and it was an art book of all the crazy shit that we did on the campaign. Okay. There's some of my work is in there. The Obama brand, the brand guide, the style guide, all that kind of stuff. It's to me, if my, there was a fire in my house and I could only save like a few things. That book is good. You cannot get that book anymore. There's only a few, you know, only so many for sure. And I would take my copy. That's a very, very special um, thing to me. And Scott made that book on Kickstarter. It was the first time I had ever heard of Kickstarter. It was right after the campaign. And he knew Charles who was one of the co-founders of Kickstarter through this, this round Robin of, of connections. And, and, um, and Scott wanted to make this book and one of the is this can I is, am I can I like keep telling this story? Yeah, keep going. Is this boring? Okay, sorry. And now, I'm <laughs> all, now it's I didn't realize how long of a story it would be. So Scott, so so one of the like uh, curses of the Obama brand is if you think of the 2008 Obama brand, there's this like royal blue color. Yeah, that's like the Obama blue. That is a, a notoriously difficult color to reproduce in what's called process color, which means when you mix other colors together to try to get that blue, it turns out sort of brown. And it can, it, it's very, it's just, anyway, it's a very hard color to get. And we all cared so much on the campaign of getting that blue right. Like, just hours and hours and hours of my life were spent on the phone and working with printers and getting that color as a, as a spot color. And it, it's a whole thing. But anyway, Scott may, wanted to make this book. He wanted the book to be, you know, it's a beautiful hardcover book. He wanted it to be bound in cloth. And he wanted the cloth to be that color of blue. And, well, there is no cloth that that's color blue because of how hard it is to get that color and so he found a place in japan a special silk factory in japan that would make a dye and fabricate the fil- the silk to spec so that it would be the right color of blue on the book and he's talking about this on the kickstarter and he's like he's like i'm doing this kickstarter and asking you directly for funding for this book because i don't think a publisher would let me go to japan and work on this silk and they go well that's not going to sell more books so who cares yeah but I'm going, well, that's the right thing to do. Like, it has to be the right color of blue. And it was this epiphany for me of I was like, he's that's his art. He's in control of this project. Like, no one can tell him he can't go to Japan and make this silk. And I also saw it as a reflection of the values of the Obama campaign of, like, 
you know, it's people coming together to do this this thing that might otherwise be impossible. And that just stuck with, you know, I, I saw how cool the book came out. I, like, went to his office to pick it up when it shipped. It was this really special experience being part of that Kickstarter, and that just stayed with me. And then it was just, it was just obvious. It was like a done deal when we needed to make cards. I was like, oh, well, there, I know this website. And, and we were one of the very early, this was before there were, like, board games on Kickstarter. Like, we were one of the, the very early board games on Kickstarter. Um, wow. But uh, it was that, yeah, it was just like, dude, when I go back and that particular story of like, like it is so weird to think of the trajectory of your life and be like, for sure, it's because I met that guy and he wanted that this blue silk. So crazy. And isn't it? Isn't it weird to think of like, yeah, and like I don't know who what would have happened with cards if there was no Kickstarter? Because like at that time. Also, like, we weren't going to get published. Like, there was no market for adult party games. Like, yeah. that wasn't a category. There was no, like, shelf at Target of, like, party games like cards. Like, it just wasn't a thing. Like, no one... There was no commercial argument for this thing. Like, had we wanted to go get a publisher, we would have been rejected. There, there just, there's no chance. Like, yeah. Yeah. So... That is so weird. crazy. It's, isn't that a weird... And it's like... And then he knew the guy who started... Kicks, like, just... It's so weird. Anyway, that's that story. The network pool you had there was just, like phenomenal yeah, right. the obama campaign starting there and then all of a sudden these other connections coming from there that's huge yep yeah okay so for people who don't really know what kickstarter is it's a crowdfunding platform where you set prize-based initiatives am i correct oh, everyone knows what everyone knows what kickstarter is. <laughs> okay so what did you guys do for your crowd-based like initiative did, what did you offer for our crop oh it's just the game I, I think there was one reward it was just like give us 25 dollars and we'll send you the game okay yeah. I'm a big proponent of simplicity. I, I like sure. simplicity. I respect that. Yeah. Okay, so Cards Against Humanity, it's practically in every aisle or every game aisle that, of a store that has one. And it's crazy well-known right now around the world. And I really respect your story. And thank you so much for sharing it with me. It's really, really inspiring. Thanks, man. Max, again, thank you so much. Yeah, hey, this was fun. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.